Welcome back to the Camp Chronicles podcast. This episode is most definitely for those of you who want to understand carp and watercraft at a deeper level. I sit down with Ben Pinager and he goes into the science of carp, their surroundings, other critters within the lake such as crayfish and basically we talk about how we can interpret that knowledge into catching more carp. So if you're a little bit geeky and you like the ins and outs of watercraft and carp, this is definitely for you. Ben, for those of you who don't know, owns BP Milling, who make feed for commercial fisheries, as well as anglers wanting to give the fish the very best food available. He also is a fish farmer. Uh, he studies at Sparshall. Super interesting dude and someone who you should most definitely listen to. Before we jump into the episode, of course, as always, we are sponsored by carphuntergiveaways.co.uk. Awesome company, fantastic giveaways. If you haven't checked these guys out, you really are missing out. They do prize draws for pretty much everything that you can think of, and they do a prize draw every single day of the week at 7.30 p.m. live on Facebook. Get involved. It's it's an enjoyable experience. At least once a week, I'll enter a prize draw, sit down, have a beer, watch the live draw, and it's a, it's a nice, fun thing to do, and there's lots of prizes that are being won as well. So go ahead, check those out, cuphuntergiveaways.co.uk. Lastly, before we jump into the episode, you need to go and check out our website if you're at all interested in our hook baits that have been a long time coming. We've got four different flavors. Flavors doesn't really do it justice because there's so much more to these hook baits than just flavor. Um, but we've got four varieties, let's say, in the range, and they are selling out pretty damn fast, even on the pre-sale. So if you're interested in getting your hands on some of our hook baits, go on over to carpchronicles.com. Check them out. We've got a special deal where you can get all four pots for £48. So, bit of a bargain. They're very special hook baits. I'm sure we'll chat about them at some time, uh, but they're going to catch a lot of fish this year. So, go ahead, check them out. Carpchronicles.com. That's it for the intros. Jump into the episode. I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed recording it. Absolutely love chatting to Ben. Wealth of information. Sit back, grab yourself a drink, and soak in the knowledge that Ben shares with us. Ben, it's been a while since we've had you on. Almost a year. I think it was beginning of March when we last recorded it. What's been going on in your world of angling since then? Have you been fishing much? Um, typically, uh, my favourite time to go would be in the spring, but that's um, the spring is obviously when the business is is flying. Then, so it just goes from almost from zero to uh, to absolutely flat out. Because obviously, everyone that wants their fish feed is wants to stock up for the um, for the summer for the growing season. So that's normally the springtime that they'll stock up. So yeah, that it peaks sort of. Um, April, March, April usually, but last year we were um, we were still bloody cold in May last year, so mm-hmm. um, sort of lost a month of sales there. And uh, last year being the first, yeah, it's Brexit and all that sort of um, that sort of we had to stop exporting um, just through. I, I used to sort of have between fifty and hundred ton would go uh, across Europe uh, most of the most of the year we'd have a trickle going over there but with brexit it's just put a lot of barriers at the border and a lot of um a lot of obstacles there and even at the best of times exporting to france was um you'd you'd get drivers which typically uh 
when they see us, I'm convinced if they see us an English pallet, they'll make half an arsed attempt at delivering it, and then they know that they can charge you double for reattempting. So uh, I was having quite a few consignments go over there, which uh, they'd fail on delivery. I'd be charged twice for a re-delivery, and then it just takes Jeez. all the money out of the job. So it's um, so I wasn't too disheartened about stopping the export of France but it was a lot of business a lot of tonnage was standing over there and it was growing all the time and the feedback was really good in France so um, yeah a bit of a shame there but I'm hoping in time that the uh, restrictions will start to settle and it will become a lot more possible to well it's more streamlined if anything to get it across there because the paperwork seems so clunky and the systems they got in place but yeah that's uh, one, one change we've had in the last 12 months I think um, and yeah we've had last year was our first year I'm sure we mentioned it in the podcast that uh, liquid products we were making um, for feed coating. Um, we've been been asked for a long time. I'm sure it's in the previous podcast, but I'll talk about it anyway. The um, the use of garlic in feeds and, the, um, and how uh, garlic has got a good reputation for repelling skin parasites, and uh, it's used in equine industry and and in uh, a lot of animal feeds for uh, repelling biting insects, um, fleas, and and midges and you know mosquitoes stuff like that um and it's it tended to sort of be aligned aligned with um the aquoi industry for using garlic to repel skin parasites like argillus fish lice or um and leech so yeah i've sort of dismissed it for a long time thinking that um it was a load of nonsense but uh and carried on uh i was busy enough with, with the feeds i was making until yeah the lockdown came uh, the first lockdown, and I, I thought, oh, I've got a bit of time. I'll, I'll have a play around and see what's on, what's around, and do a bit of research into that. And um, yeah, my research kept showing that um, there was a, a, a sulfur-containing compound in garlic, which is what's doing the repelling, but it's heat sensitive. So a lot of the people that were asking me to put garlic into the pellets, I couldn't do it because the cooking process of the, the uh, and the heat generated in the pelleting processes <coughs> is going to denature the the sulfur and the, it's, it's not going to have the same effect because it, because it's a heat sensitive uh, compound that we needed to protect. So I, I still went back to thinking how it could be done over like a powder coat the pellets or something, but then it would wash off. So then I spoke to a few manufacturers and uh, uh, in through the food industry really um, and, and finding uh, a liquid products that was. Um, processed in a way that there was no heat used to denature the, the to protect the sulfur compound the alicin um, and yeah we came up with a product which we we've um, combined with an oil to to carry the that that um, that alicin into the pellets so that our pellets absorb oil really well so um, we've done, we've made like a liquid product which is applied post production so your pellets would just be coated um, in this oil and they take on that alicin and, and uh, in theory it should repel the parasites so yeah it was all a bit of an experiment uh, a bit of an experiment last year but the feedback has been honestly incredible like the uh, I know I'm going to say it because I'm biased and it's a product that I've made but it's actually been like incredible like the people everyone that's used it has said how the fish have responded to it um, even in my ponds I noticed straight away how they respond like instantly to the food like normally if I without the the what we call natural power this product we've made um we if i fed the ponds 
their ration without the, the feed they'd sort of gently fizz over 24 hours and you, you'd go down there 24 hours later and they'd still be gently feeding away but with this naturopel on it they're they're literally on it and you know in within sort of an hour they've just just really sort of bubbling up and uh, going bananas and it's aligned with all the feedback as well that everyone's saying that they've got a lot of fish showing over it and uh, as a result um come this sort of winter time when parasites tend to sort of accumulate through the summer um people are saying that their fish have been the cleanest they've ever seen in fact I had one customer say that um they've been advised by the ea to do this that and the other with pipes where where the argulus the fish lice lay their eggs on a hard substrate the ea will advise you to um to put in these these drainage pipes so um the argulus lay their eggs on the drainage pipes which is hard obviously hard plastic and then uh, you take these drainage pipes out and spin them around so the eggs that have been laid on the pipe are left out of the water to dry then the other end of the pipe is put in for them to hatch the next batch of argulus, which is a way of controlling them by drying the eggs out and uh, that sort of cycle. And then we had a, yeah, a lot of people saying they've been doing that for years and it's kind of controlled them, but Naturopel has eradicated them. So, uh, yeah, I couldn't be happier with that product. It's uh, been immense. In, interesting yeah want to talk to you about the garlic a little bit more yeah. and the products that you use what that was a good intro but what about your fishing dude your personal Sorry. fishing um uh yeah so what have we done um the spring oh yeah i did try to do quite a bit in the spring before it got too warm um because obviously the orders as soon as it's all temperature dependent my orders so uh i got out early spring because it was still cold wasn't it in april and may yeah um then i was at the syndicate and uh, I couldn't have caught less, caught less fish, to be honest. Um, they're all, the syndicate that I'm on, they've got like a, a shallow bay, which they tend to sort of, as soon as it warms up, the like, majority of the stock will go into the shallower bays. And that was pretty stitched with anglers, and I don't like to sort of slot in and go mm. in after somebody else. So I like to sort of try and create some of my own somewhere else. But that just wasn't happening. I was, you know, baiting and trying to keep a few bots, the spots, uh, get a few spots going. But... Uh, in the spring it's hard anyway because they don't think you know they're just coming onto the food they're not really got a, um, a huge metabolism or much of an appetite so um so yeah it was a bit of a losing battle and got a bit uh a bit frustrating to be honest because there's a lot of fish being caught right uh, in the areas that were you know people were camping in there and um they were catching fish so yeah i was trying to do my own thing and was getting there couldn't really get close to them um so then, yeah, I got busy after that with, with orders and sort of put my kit away in a bit of a strop, thinking, oh, bloody hell, I can't catch a thing. And, uh, yeah, I went um, through the summer. I went to walk around the lake, which I'd stocked, which I think is in the previous podcast as well. I just stocked a lake in the water park, donated some fish to an angling club. And um, I walked around there in the summer um, to see if I could see any, see how they're getting on, check they're all sort of settled in, see if it was a hot day for might see a few basking and uh all i saw was massive fish like um i knew there was a lot of big fish in there anyway well a few big fish and i saw a handful of them and yeah the, the smallest one must have been mid 30 so um it sort of got me got me wanting to go again so uh started baiting that in the summer and um it's very low stock um speaking to a few of the people that do fish it they reckon that there might be sort of between 15 or 20 fish in there um with the I put twenty five in there, um, so a total stock will say forty five. But the fish I put in were only sort of mid doubles, FC fours, um, and yeah, I, I was reluctant to go at first because I didn't want to be catching the fish I'd just put in in the winter. I thought it'd be look, look a bit daft me going to catch my fish that I've only just put in. 
but yeah, these big ones, um, it was hard not to, to be honest. So we uh, started baiting and um, it straight away started to catch, I think four or five of mine. Um, and I just kept baiting and uh, heard of a couple that were coming out and um, they were all big fish, nothing smaller than 30. And eventually, yeah, in the, in the autumn, um, my angling sort of comes and goes with sort of business gets busy and I, um, I try and work out a window of when I think I'll be able to go and then bait up sort of a week or two in advance to try and maximise that window if I, if I got a chance to go. So yeah, I've um, my next opportunity was sort of the autumn really, um, the time I actually took it seriously again and um, started baiting again. Um, and I think it was my first session after baiting, after I think it was a good couple of weeks baiting every night, putting a lot of food in as well. Um, probably as much as 10 kilos a night, um, which is my pellet and boilie. Um, and then I got to, yeah, a chance to fish it and I had one straight away. So as the light was getting dark, it took me a few hours since setting up and uh, it was a 43, um, nice, nice chunky old fish. Um, and yeah, that that was, I thought, here we go. Went again the, after the next night. So I sort of, I normally just fish the nights and go back to work in the mornings and get some stuff done and then get back to the lake as soon as I can. Um, and the next night I blanked and then I don't think I got another chance to go then. I think that was literally the last chance. And I started to vlog my sessions um, leading up to that, like with the baiting and things and trying to get a vlog going for some content. Um, and yeah, I thought, brilliant, this is working out really well. I caught a couple of my fish, shows a bit of a story there of how they're growing since they've been stocked. And then uh, I caught this big one as well and it was all going really well, but then I uh, didn't get a chance then. It got busy with the... Uh, with orders again and um yeah I just didn't find another window to go but that was a success anyway I didn't regret that it was a uh, yeah a good bit of fun but um there's a lot of crayfish in there um so yeah I wasn't scared to put the food in um knowing that the crayfish are going to eat the, the majority of what I was putting in but if I could create areas where where they were you know polished and something something of interest to the carp because the carp are they're not very pressured at all it's a park lake and I thought anywhere any sort of spot, a quiet little areas that you can get the fish interested in, and you know if there's a lot of crayfish turning over the substrate, then that might be an area that the fish recognise as a, you know, an area of interest they might keep going back to. And I just had that in my mind, just keep going. I know the crayfish are eating a lot of it, but I'm just going to keep going anyway and ignore it. And uh, yeah, fishing with plastics. Um, and yeah, hopefully I sort of plan on doing the same thing this year. I don't know if I'll um, fish so much the syndicate. Now I've sort of had one of the better ones of the this park lake. I know there's some that are not bigger than the one I had as well. So I'd like to keep going there. Um, I prefer sort of fishing for one or two fish a year than um, going somewhere for bites, really. But yeah, that's that's the idea. Hopefully this year I'll get a chance to do something similar. But we'll see. Okay, yeah. Nice, mate. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, do you find just to go off on a tangent about the the crayfish thing and we would both fish up on the water park mm. Cotswold water park obviously cray is just an issue everywhere yeah. do, do you do this pretty much the same thing as the rest of us or do you have obviously with your background of fish science and aquaculture science do you have any little nifty nifty tricks for us um i was told by somebody after doing these uh, garlic products somebody mentioned that garlic uh, that crayfish don't like garlic um, so, so yeah, the, the one of the ingredients we use for Naturopel, I've got like the the neat extract of the the, the garlic the, um, that we use for that, 
and uh, I was soaking my hook baits in that, um, and that that was I was surprised, but yeah, it was um, it was still getting hammered by crayfish. But I think where there's such a problem at that in the lakes that we're talking about, um, I don't know. I don't think there's anything that like, people say that they they prefer fish meal to anything sweeter. But I I can't. I think they'll have what you chuck at them to be honest. Yeah. But it, when they're in those levels, maybe if they're then you know not quite so established, they they might pick and choose a little bit more. But I think where we're talking about this, there's so rife that yeah, anything that goes in, they tend to hammer it. But I think any activity, and I think the fish will pick up on sounds like that as well. I think, um, so when fish are feeding, I, I think we take it for granted a bit, but what you can hear underwater when you're, you know, when you're swimming, I think the fish would pick up on sounds like that through their swim bladder that's, you know, connected to their internal ear. They can, they can hear crunching and, and any movement. And I think any sort of, uh, interesting areas you can create I think the crayfish will help you in that respect yeah. Um, <clears throat> and yeah it's another reason why I don't lose too much sleep about crayfish or silvers eating the predominant you know, majority of what I'm putting in I think just creating areas where you're going to get fish to show an interest I think um, and if you've got a bit of plastic left there when one turns up you might get a bite but um, I wouldn't know how else to approach lakes where you've got so many crayfish that they are putting in they're, they're having everything you put in because I think that does put, off, put a lot of people off putting any food in um, because they know they're just going to be feeding crayfish um, it's a necessary evil though isn't it yeah that's right yeah so I think you've you've just got to go with it I think um, a lot of the ingredients are soluble enough to, to leave something in the area that's uh, going to scream a bit of food for, for fish I, I, yeah I, I don't know so that's the way I kept sort of encouraging myself to keep going was just telling myself that to uh yeah i mean from attraction point of view if, if the crayfish are obviously turning over the bait you know chewing it up it's going to be releasing like you say the solubles mm. the amino acids organic acids mm. into the water column isn't it i'm sure crayfish make a noise when <clears throat> i'm sure you've seen loads of crayfish on a on a spot in the yeah. edge there's a lot of them can't yeah. must be able to hear that happening as well. So I, yeah. I always think, if anything, that's that's probably aiding your attraction to a point. Yeah. Obviously, the downside is you've got to keep your fucking hook bait in, in yeah. check. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's um, yeah, it's been it's been good fun. It's sort of you, you reel it in, and all the, all the rig components be battered. And uh, but yeah, it's, I enjoyed it. It's sort of part of the challenge. And uh, but yeah, like you say, I think think having anything that's going to create any sort of disturbance like that, and the fish. Any juvenile crayfish that you know as they hatch, I'm sure that's a. I'm sure the fish enjoy eating them as well when they're softer and uh, when they lose their shells as yeah. well. There's that like few yeah. week period, isn't there, where they they yeah. they're nice and kind of jelly soft for the carp. I think that's yeah, yeah, it can yeah, be hard fishing. Um, yeah, it was a yeah, big weedy lake. It was um, hard to sort of have anything else to to go on really. Yeah, um, but yeah, no, I enjoyed it. I'll hopefully, get back and have another one or two. Uh, yeah, later in the air, but I think when we lasted our podcast, <clears throat> you're on a different syndicate yeah. lower down in the water park. Yeah, you... that's the one I was talking about where it was ah. fished, uh, fished well in the spring. Um, funny enough, it didn't fish very well after the spring. Um, I think it, it did do some big fish, but but very hard for going. I think um, I think everywhere seemed to suffer with weed middle middle of the summer. There's a lot of weed in a lot of the venues I was visiting, and uh, yeah, yeah, I think it was just one of them years where it, it weed sort of really did. Uh, get well established and this particularly the one I was fishing as well and um, there was times when I went up there and there's massive rafts of weed which had like uh, floated over the areas I was baiting which uh, made it a bit, bit, bit interesting um, 
but yeah, no, that's it really for my fishing in Kiowa. Yeah, it seems to do less and less, to be fair. Um, yeah, don't we? Yeah. Every uh, every year, but um, I don't know. The syndicate is uh, going in the right direction, um, so I think uh, later 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 on I'll uh, go back there and spend a bit of time. I think it's good to have somewhere local that if one one of them's too busy, you can go on the other. But on the other one, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah that's all right. Nice. The the other well, there's two more. So with you, is there's going to be loads of tangents, but there's yep. two things of what you said I wanted to pick up on. Definitely want to go in more depth about the garlic, um, but also you mentioned the forty three something like that mm-hmm. that you caught. Was that the one that we were talking about earlier, sort of off air with the bulge at the side, quote unquote broken rib? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Do you want to? Tell everyone what you were telling me because it, I've learned something. I didn't realise this. Yeah, okay. Um, there's so yeah, the, the the fish you're talking about. I've caught one that one from the the water park. I mentioned the forty three pound that had uh, a sore on one side, a real sort of um, a lesion on one side, a, a real big red sore. Um, and this is sort of uh, you see it quite a lot in in certain batches of fish, um, and a lot of people that see them put it down to a broken rib which would make sense i suppose it would look similar to that if, if a fish had popped a bone and a bone was you know protruding through the side of the fish um and uh yeah it's it's, it's not that it's uh actually a, the swim bladder where the where these fish uh, are produced um so certain fish farmers that might select fish for you know not necessarily the the angling market it might be um a business from a business point of view really when they grade fish from um, from batches where they want so obviously fish farmers are paid by the weight of fish so that they'll grade um, the, the fish farmer here that we're talking of is, would, would grade the chunkiest fish the heaviest fish that are put on the, the most weight as soon as possible because obviously they're being paid by the weight um, so they'll grade fish that are chunkier shorter you know deeper fatter um, and as they bred from them and used them as brood fish, these fish were getting shorter and shorter. Like the, the skeletal structure of the fish was was um, were getting shorter, but the the swim bladder was you know trying to sort of uh, is an elongated organ really that the, the sort of gas chamber in the fish that regulates the buoyancy and the how the fish you know regulate their buoyancy. So um, this uh, the swim bladder was was almost going on, curling on a bit of a you know off, off one to the one side. So the swim bladder's putting more pressure on one side of the fish and uh, pushing through the muscle tissue and, and creating a lump on one side. And you can imagine a fish is a, a streamlined, they're designed to be streamlined to slip through the water as efficiently as possible. But if they've got a protrusion and you know uh, a lump on one side, then they're naturally going to, uh, that's going to be something that sticks out that's going to be get more abrasion on that lump. And uh, that's where they develop a sore, um, which I'm sure if you, a lot of, people listening to this would have seen the uh this, the type of thing we're talking about it becomes sort of a big circular lesion on one of the side the side of the fish which yeah is uh, it's actually the swim bladder where the brood fish have been selected um over you know generations to to be faster growing shorter fatter uh, i say faster growing the fish that put the weight on the quickest which um in in this in this circumstance it was a, a shorter brood fish uh, deeper brood fish yeah and it's that classic ugly old school simo kind of That's look right. that, that yeah. most carp anglers don't like and yeah. it's basically just because they've got their their skeleton so short they're just trying to cram everything yeah. into a short area much, yeah. so i know some people will be thinking well hang on like surely you want the longer fish mm. they they've got more potential to put on weight presumably yeah. though it's just it, it's quicker for them to build fat 
than it yeah. is actual length and, and girth from, from, so, from yeah, size. If you think from a business point of view, if you're growing carp to sell on, you're being paid by the weight. So if I buy a load of one pound fish and I'm, I'm going to sell them next year, um, I want them to put on, I'm going to sell them by the weight rather than the number of fish. Then uh, I want them to put on as much weight as possible. This is from a business point of view rather than an ethical sort of uh, viewpoint, if you like. Um, then it's cheaper to feed them a fat diet because obviously fat is going to equate to weight gain. Um, than it is a high protein diet so it's if you want that fish to you're going to be putting more fat weight rather than muscle weight on that fish by feeding a high fat diet and high protein diet it's uh, going to put more weight on but it's yeah a compromise to the skeletal structure sometimes um, and if you take that over generations of grading those brood fish for that reason the, the fish that best convert uh, their diet into body weight or best metabolize fat then uh, you're going to slowly develop fatter fish with a different skeletal structure, but you still got this um, this uh, what's it called the uh, the organ uh, what was it the swim bladder sorry couldn't think of the word then um, you still got the swim uh, swim bladder which needs to support that body weight which needs to have enough um, it needs to be enough of a capacity to to float that fish and, and uh, regulate its its buoyancy. So. And, and presumably. <clears throat> The fish that do have this, it looks like a boil or a spot, doesn't it? Yeah. The bigger they get, I'm guessing the bigger that's going to get because they need a bigger swim bladder to regulate the extra weight through the yeah. water column. So that a fish would be able to deal with that pretty well. If a healthy fish would be able to, um, yeah, it's, if it's got a good immune system and it's it's not stressed, it can deal with it and they can grow on and be be healthy. But they do carry a, a scar and often it'll be a big red or, or black lesion on one side. Um, but yeah, a healthy fish would be able to cope with that. But if that fish went through a, a period of stress for a long time, then that infection, that red sore, could you know overwhelm the fish, um, which is something I've just been talking about in a video I edited this morning, which is uh, about you know keep your fish coming into the spring is the most vulnerable time for the fish because the bacteria respond to the change in water temperature much quicker than the fish's immune system. So mm. any open wounds like that. Um, a bacterial infection could overwhelm the fish if it's not healthy, if it's malnourished or, or you know stressed, then that could be a site of infection where bacteria, as they grow in the spring, as bacteria will become more active, that could uh, be a site of infection. Which, if the fish is not, if the fish's natural defence defences aren't uh, fueled well enough, or if the fish is stressed, then that could yeah overwhelm and kill the fish. But but most of these, you know, these these big ones that grow to that sort of size, they've they've grown that big because they are low stress. They're not, you know, they're, they're healthy fish anyway. So, but if you put that fish into a match environment where there's more stress, more bacteria as the water temperature increases, that that is a real threat to the to the fish's life. Um, but yeah, they, you do see a lot of them. They don't see so much nowadays because I think angling's become sort of gone to the other way where we all prefer a longer, scalier fish now. Mm. Um, and those are sort of the old school simos, if you like. That, um, yeah. that, yeah. I think they are because it's gone so far the other way. I think it's quite it's seeing the odd one now. It's like oh, it's a bit different. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's pretty cool, but yeah. Um, yeah. No, that was certainly uh, certainly a character fish one I caught. It's uh, not one you take home to your mother. It was no. a little bruiser, but uh, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, Perhaps we'll put a photo of it up. Yeah, yeah. You were mentioning um, garlic as well, and, and I think you mentioned the word Allison a few yeah. times. Now, that with garlic, if you, 
I think I'm right in saying this. I might be wrong. So don't, you know. If you cut garlic on the side and then leave it for, for five minutes, mm. I believe the allicin comes out <clears throat> kind of like is almost released from the ruptured cells right. from, from cutting. Yeah. Um, what you mentioned the processing of, of this garlic liquid that mm. basically retains nutrients. It obviously heat isn't used in the, the formulation of it. Yeah. What is it? What it? What is it that's denatured by heat? Is it the allicin? And what do you feel the allicin does within the bait in terms of the carp? Yeah, that's quite specialist for me. But that is uh, from what my research was. Yeah, I think uh, from what I sort of was reading up on. Um, the allicin was yeah heat sensitive, so you, you'll be denaturing and how how effective it is um, with the more heat you use. Um, and we don't use much heat in the in the, the pelleting process really. We just sort of just applied steam to the to the pellets, uh, to, and then through the the friction process of forming the pellet, there's quite a bit of heat generated there. But um, I didn't want to release something and find that oh this isn't working why not as you know i wanted to sort of go down the route of uh what my research had found out of it being heat sensitive so I thought right i ruled out heat straight away um so yeah i spoke to to a few um of the manufacturing suppliers that we use and trying to explain what i was trying to do and uh yeah they came up with some some processes that they use um to to extract that um sort of garlic extract um to to protect that that heat listen without without heat, sorry without uh, using heat um to, to yeah extract what they could to to bind it with an mm. oil um that we could apply to the pellets um but yes yeah, as far as i'm aware it's uh unseen in my fish it's it's doing exactly the job that we we wanted it to do it's um but in one of your podcasts you said to uh, one of the guys i picked up when you said that um like the un- an onion would be like your perfect is that what you said? And one of the, the perfect sort of, <clears throat> I mean, the profile of an onion. I think um, Jason Ryder said onions. Yeah. Yeah. So the, it's, it's, it makes sense. It's part of that family that, you know, that I, I thought when when I heard that from you, I thought, oh yeah, this does have some attractive properties to, to carp as I th- well. I think uh, if, it, if it was me that said it, it was because I went and looked at onion, <laughs> the composure uh, of an right, onion, right. got lots of different organic acids <laughs> in there. Yeah. I don't think it's the perfect attractant for carp, but there's right. some interesting... Interesting organic acids in onions. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I, was, I, was just, I picked up on I thought, oh, it's from the same sort of family. Yeah. Garlic yeah. Well, J- Jason, there, but... Jason Ryder said about, I think he, I don't know whether he was on about onion powder or, I think mm. he was on about just grating onion into method mix, maybe, right. which was interesting. I've never done it. I've looked at onions. Um, yeah. For anyone listening, look at the um, organic acid content of an onion. And yeah. it, it it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. It's um like a lot of the people you get on are a lot more scientific than I am and a lot more uh, advanced than than I am. I'm more of a in terms of, of in terms of the bait. Yeah, you're yeah, more carp science, yeah. right? But you yeah, but you don't you work with a animal nutritionist? That's right. Yeah. yeah. So that's sort of he he comes my back on a lot of things of of what I basically go to him of what we're trying to achieve. Yeah. And then we'll uh, find a way of doing it. But yeah, all the technical side of the composition and the put things together that's uh, more his bag yeah I'm more yeah 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 on, like, yeah uh, know the market very well and uh, yeah yeah that's where i come into it but so, so the so you, you might not be able to answer no worries if not but for the person listening they like the idea of of this thing that's good for the the fish's mm. health you said yourself the pellets that have got your garlic product mm. in outperform the 
the pellets without yeah, the garlic products. Yeah. So what are they to use? Would you recommend garlic powder, which most of us have been using for, for got donkey's years? Yeah. Or would you, you know, you've got garlic essential oil as well. You've got garlic, you know, quote unquote emulsions available. Yeah. What what would you steer people in the direction of? So from a parasite repelling point of view, the reason we used it with an oil is not, not just because to, to get it into the pellet itself and help the pellet absorb the oil um, and those compounds we want in there, um, but also to help permeate the skin of the fish to get through to the mucus to repel the parasite. So that having that as an oil base sort of uh, as a product is helping to do that, I think, because it goes through the intestine, it helps it sort of leach through and, uh, and permeate the skin. Do, yeah. Do you think, I'm just going off on a tangent here and, and quite possibly I'm wrong, but and I'm literally thinking on the spot, but do you think, because obviously carp, are const- their cells are constantly dying and be regenerated, same as any any living animal, mm-hmm. us included. Do you think because, so there's, some, there's a part of the cell called the myelin sheath, which mm-hmm. is made up of fat and it needs, it needs fat to be created. Yeah. Do you think there's something in that process as well that could help drive the garlic almost into the... <laughs> the the makeup of the flesh of the cart, which would help repel yeah. the argulus or yeah a lot of the reading I was doing was uh, it was impermeating the skin trying to get those sulfur compounds to impermeate the skin and I thought the fat would be the best way to do it um, and yeah it's because it, because lice they're feeding off the mucus of the fish so that's what we're trying to repel so we wanted something that was going to get into the skin and the mucus um, and, and repel those those parasites the, the argulus that we're talking about they are sort of a a problem in any well, I say in a problem that, that the fish can deal with them, but the higher the number of parasite the of lice, you're gonna you're gonna have the, an elevated um, uh, irritation on the skin. They're feeding off the mucus, so the fish is having to to produce more mucus, so they're using more energy to do that. Um, so yeah, if we can feeding them that naturopow is gonna as they like you say regenerate and, and produce that mucus. I hope that some of the sulfur compound is uh, is carried through to, to repel those parasites um, and yeah the, the parasite needs to leave the host the, the parasite can't survive without a fish I think it's 10 days um, so yeah they, they leave the fish to, to lay their eggs and then once they've laid their eggs they'll find another fish to, uh, to, to feed off of again so if that's our opportunity to um, intercept and try and uh, break the life cycle of the parasite if you like so um, we're trying to repel these these uh, lice and then as part of your management plan we encourage fisheries to remove refuge areas areas that fish gather to maybe recover or um, hide as a stress sort of relief area I don't know whether they've been caught and they might all congregate in a snag or or a reed bed that's those snags and reed beds are the the solid structure that the argulus want to lay their eggs where those the juvenile argulus when they hatch they're going to find it very easy to find another fish because that's the area that the fish like to sit and you know it's not going to be hard for a, a tiny little juvenile argulus to hatch and go and find a fish when the life cycle starts again and that's how the, the numbers of these argulus multiply and they do become an issue in in certainly venues that we visit electrofishing and netting if you come up to a snag and you find a big ball of carp, loads of carp coming up all in one go, you'll find that they're covered in these argulus. Um, and argulus, the eggs are very hardy, so they can be laid, the eggs can be laid through the winter and they, they can survive a whole winter without hatching and uh, they can be completely dormant through the winter 
and then in the spring they'll start to hatch. So this is really the crucial time of year that we want um, to be feeding our fish natural powers because in the coming months um, these new the juvenile argillus eggs are going to be hatching. So we want the fish out in open water where they're not going to be in areas easy for the for the uh, juvenile argillus to find them. And uh, yeah, we're just trying to break that life cycle of these this this hatch of parasites that are coming um, by encouraging fish to feed in open water taking out areas of refuge which some people think taking out areas of refuge is going to cause stress to the fish because the fish enjoy being in those areas it's a it's an area where they relieve their stress and they feel comfortable but our argument is you should have a fishery that where the fish can be stress-free anywhere in the lake so you want to create a stress-free environment for fish where you know we've all seen fish in open water just basking in the sun well that's really there that's the fish that's stress-free it's recovering it's metabolizing its food that's perhaps eaten over the last 24 hours um, and it'll be converting that diet very efficiently doing that but by taking out those refuge areas we've put the fish in an area where they're not an easy target for parasites so mm. again breaking that life cycle of the parasite and by doing that you're relieving you're minimizing the skin irritation caused by these lice and uh, the, the issues that they cause obviously if, fish, if a fish is irritated by these lice um, they're going to be scratching jumping and potentially harming themselves on on physical objects um, and opening up a wound which is a site for secondary infection obviously the fish is irritated the immune system is going to be suppressed so uh, it's easily a, a site for infection to take hold um, and that's yeah the whole reason for creating naturopel in the end is to, to combat that um, yeah but yeah it seems to be doing the doing the job at the minute but um you, you mentioned um like going to a warm site for for the carp to digest food, right? <clears throat> so I wanted to talk to you about that, just to switch gears slightly. Obviously, this time of year, you know, as we record it, is we're in the we're in the balls of winter. Mm-hmm. Um, it's cold out there. The water's cold. There, it's actually quite a wild, mild winter. Obviously, finding the warm, slightly warmer temperatures of the lake just by a degree or two is is a can be a freaking game changer yeah. for winter fishing, right? In my experience, tell me if I'm chatting shit you know please correct me but in my experience in the summer obviously it's more important in the winter i get that but in the summer the 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 different localized areas of the lake will fluctuate with water temp more mm. if you swim around a lake yeah. in this in in spring or, or summer it's you you'll come going, yeah. yeah you'll come to an area and it's like oh shit this is a lot warmer or a lot colder yeah how important is it and are we missing a trick by not paying more attention to water temperature in the summer yeah, I think it's I think it's hard to locate areas unless you've got a big weed bed. Obviously, that's going to be a big dark um, bed that's going to is, they tend to absorb the heat very well. So you'll get the upper layers of a weed bed that are very warm and the lower layers that are very cold and shaded. Um, so that's an obvious one, which is obviously going to be warm. And I tend to find with my fish in when it's like that, when it's roasting hot and the fish are looking for those warmer areas, then a big floating weed bed, a raft that's floating around the lake, the fish want to be sat in that. So yeah. fishing just off of that um, is, yeah. You, and again, my experience of electric fishing, when we've had to do a fish rescue in the summer, um, you might find, you'll always tend to find if there's a floating raft of weed, that um, you will find fish underneath mm. it or, or amongst it um, in that real sort of warmth. Um, it just absorbs the heat in there and, and they like to be in there but it's harder like you say when you're swimming around a lake it's harder to predict which spots are going to be warmer than others um, and that's another reason why having um, I think the stocking density uh, is 
is has plays in that sort of um, what we're talking about is having more fish um, helps to mix those layers. So from a fishery management point of view, there's a balance of having not enough fish and too many, whereas there's a nice sort of medium in the middle where you've it's shallower lakes uh, and having the right amount of fish in there, you can keep that water mixing. So I think mm. the mixing of water is important. J- literally just from the fish swimming around. Yeah. So Incredible. if you've got uh, a shallower lake, is easier to do that obviously because the one big fish can move a lot of water as it swims around um so that's why i think shallower lakes tend to be more productive is because the you get more water mixing whereas in deeper lakes you get more layers when i think fish that it's like me if you swim around in a lake you'll, you'll know about these these layers you bump into a warm patch and that's lovely and you're going through a cold bit and uh i think yeah anything like that it's, it's, to us we take for granted because warm-blooded but as a, as a carp being a cold-blooded animal game changer right? yeah, yeah so um i think yeah it's having that getting that balance right in your uh stocking density to have enough fish to mix that water is uh really does have a big impact on the progression of those fish but uh, again if you having not enough fish you might get layers of water like that and you'll get a lot of weed growth, which again encourages these warmer areas of water. Whereas if you have the stocking density too high, obviously the fish aren't going to grow anyway because there's too many that they're exhausted, the natural food, that put the water's turbid, so there's an element of nutrition to the water. So I'd definitely rather have too many fish because I know I can control them and, and take a few out and not have enough um, in there. Um, so yeah, there is that balance of, and I I normally go off sort of the clarity of the water, but yeah, again, uh, shallow water is anywhere we go where there's shallow water, we tend to find big fish where uh, hmm. obviously the water warms up, you get better water mixing, um, and yeah, having those fish that little bit closer to the lake bed where they can disturb it every time they waft their tail, they're disturbing the substrate and getting those uh, yeah. the organic material breaking down. It's a nutrient, it's more nutrient rich, and they just tend to grow much bigger in the shallow waters like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting thing. I'd like to do a bit more on uh, uh, testing the, the the layers of water and and perhaps having. I did think about this the other day, having sort of a probe with temperature uh, probes all the way up the stick to find ah, out yeah. how fluctuated they are in different lakes. And yeah, different bits of like this is something I did different bit of research that I don't think's been covered quite quite so black and white like that. That we could. Uh, yeah, I'd like to be involved in things like that to see what. Yeah. What comes of that. Yeah. As a fish farmer. Do you think, and obviously someone, I mean, you studied at Sparshot, you obviously got feed company, you know, you're very enthralled in, mm. in that side of angling. Do you think there's a lot that actually we don't really know regarding the, the watercraft in general of carp um, fishing? Do you think a lot of it's like a little bit of an unknown territory or, or do you think uh, it's all pretty well mapped out? No, I think a bit of both. I think there's, uh, from my experience, I find that, it's quite um, sobering, really, but I listen to some of the the most reputable names in the industry that you know that you couldn't come close to knowing as much as them. But even they say things that I disagree with, and I might have seen examples of that, that goes against what they're saying. And, and I'm I always go in with an open mind. I don't always, you know, I, I try and make things on my how they're my opinion rather than uh, uh, just accepting that they're gospel. I, I always go in with an open mind, but you can't ignore the things that you see every day and um, every fisher we go to and we see the exact same patterns. I think that, that convinces me more and more, although I, I don't like to concrete my thoughts too much. Um, uh, I, yeah, I still hear people coming up with these theories and, and, and advice that I can categorically disagree with because what I've seen and experienced, 
time and time again. But yeah, that to me, that that I find it sobering that these people that you really do look up to and you, you, you have so much respect for them, but you can see them getting it wrong. I do think that, yeah, I mean, does probably, to answer your question, probably uh, there is probably more to be uh, discovered that, that we might be um, taken for, you know, we assume it's a rule, but, you know, we haven't okay. quite uncovered it all. But, Let, let's throw some people under the bus. Who are you? <laughs> I'm you don't have to say who, but what, what are some of the, the things that you hear get, gets kind of spoken as as gospel that you you disagree with um well straight away there's um obviously my f- all i do is, is cereal pellets for feeding to fisheries and you hear it time and time again people that um uh you know the fish meal is the way to go you're not going to get um any growth out of cereals because at the end of the day fish meal is is researched to be the best you know it's obviously the the most digestible protein to fish that it's easily converted into protein yeah. to uh into body weight um can't argue with that but feeding our fish on cereals and a fast breakdown pellet is going completely against the industry of you know extruded diets that are fed to intensively farmed fish um you know you can't you can't beat the r&d that goes into them but um i've been feeding for my carp on my cereal feeds for 10 years now and uh was well, an example my c2s this year are the biggest i've seen in any of the fish farmers across the country, I think that they're competing in size to any fish farm, and they've all just been fed as my feeds. And my, I try and direct people down the route of farming fish outdoors. It's more about their environment. It's like having a cow in a field. You can overgraze the field, and then there's you need to feed them something once the grass is gone. Um, and some, you know, at the right time of year, that grass might keep up, keep with the the density of animals you've got in the field, and other times. The fish are over, the, the the animals will overfeed, overgraze it, and there's no food. You need to supplement it with something, mm. and you need to keep them happy. So there's more to it than just feeding them this or that. It's uh, about creating a fertile environment, happy fish. Um, that's the way I sort of try and spin it, and into uh, into yeah, like I say, the the fish meal side of things. I've got fish. Fish are most nutritionally dependent in their first few weeks and months of of their lives. Well, I've got fish in my ponds that last year had first year carp that reached six to eight inches in their first year, and they wouldn't have reached that if they were even lacking one vitamin or mineral. They would have de- developed deformities or abnormalities, or their growth would be compromised from not having those vitamins and mineral- minerals in their first days of their lives. So that, to me, is confirmation that the fish are getting their essential vitamins and minerals that they need to develop healthily. Um, and that, that batch has become my biggest C2 carp, um, which, yeah, very excited about seeing them. Um, so it, it, like when, when it comes to growth, everyone's obviously on about amino – or everyone's on about protein. Okay, how much protein or fish meal protein is better. Um, but obviously there's more to it than that. There's, there's calories as well, mm-hmm. and there's fat, and there's carbohydrates, and obviously other nutrients. So you, you say that, um, that your recent um, – year of fish however you'd t- you know whatever terminology you'd use you say that they've grown better in that year than say other fish farmers yeah. um do you feel that there's a difference in carrots so, so maybe i'm just playing devil's advocate here mm-hmm. right let's say they were here and they were saying well actually we're feeding it a more complete protein source better amino acids so ours should be growing more would mm-hmm. you retort and say well look mine have grown more than yours actually would you then add on to that maybe 
you're feeding more calories or more certain macronutrients or um, micronutrients? Is there, is there that there's, that's well, helping? Or? To, to the, the feeds that are nutritionally complete diets, extruded feeds, um, they're developed for sort of, you know, intensive agriculture. So indoor recirculation systems where it, that my feeds would do crap in an indoor environment because in an indoor environment you've got a filter which is taken out it's preventing an al- any sort of algae development it's, it's preventing any sort of nutrient value to the water because it's, it's being filtered so um all the all the nutrients need to be provided in that that diet in that package of the pellet it needs to be providing all the essential vitamins and minerals for that fish um so the non-essential vitamins and minerals the fish can can produce themselves um but the essentials need to be in that diet um and you can feed them extensively in those indoor systems because you've got the biological filters which are removing the ammonia produced by the excess of protein so if you've got uh you you know like i say that 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 natural filter you haven't got that in a lake so you need to protect the environment because we haven't got a biofilter in a lake you've got an organic sort of nitrification cycle which which we need to sort of uh I think you can do a lot on your management to optimize the nitrification cycle and that nitrification cycle is is producing nutrient which is soluble for for a food chain which you haven't got a food chain in an, in, in an indoor intensive system so uh, from a fishery point of view outdoors it's a completely different ecosystem um, so for me you've got protein content in you know daphnia and in algae and the, the, the plankton and the food chain that comes from that so it's really about optimizing the environment and the, the food available naturally to the fish outdoors and i think you can go further with pellets that break down like mine because they break down you get an oxygen through the mix which is breaking it down organically and feeding that food chain and getting those fish to root at the bottom so, so my feed breaking down fast you'll you'll get a longer feeding period so they'll feed much longer grazing the, the substrate and the more you can encourage these fish to graze that substrate the more you're going to disturb the bottom and combat silt and and the the breakdown of, of that silt into nutrient that's feeding that food chain and that's for me is all about feeding that food chain getting a fertile productive environment and then that food that you're putting in is also going to be eaten for fish so you'll you'll supplement in their diet they've got food that, and they're feeding on cereals in a nutrient-rich environment with a thriving food chain i think that's where we get our growth from is it's through not through what you're putting through the fish's gut it's more what you're putting around the fish and the food chain you're encouraging and uh feeding so um the environment you're creating as a result of the the feed type yeah so yeah. the 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 other side of that the extruded diets that don't break down the argument there is the people that wouldn't like my pellets and don't like my pellets they say that it breaks down too fast so the fish can't get it through them they say it goes to waste um whereas in a, a pellet that doesn't break down the fish can physically get that pellet right through them through the intestine the whole package is going through that fish and the fish is absorbing it which is true um but you're not the fish will feed on that ration and once that pellet's gone or that those pellets that don't break down once they're gone there's no food content in the substrate anymore so they'll feed aggressively very quickly you would have seen on fish farms that feed extruded pellets they'll go bananas straight away as soon as the pellet goes in and then uh, the next feed isn't really coming to the well, you obviously will get an element of um a natural food chain the same as you would with my pellets but i think my pellets lend themselves better to enriching the environment and um and i think the growth rates are, you know it sounds impressive from what i'm saying and might be overcomplicating something but i think 
the growth rates we've had over the last 10 years sort of back that up that it's not stupid what we're saying and what we're doing is uh, is working and I've not fed a single fish mill pellet for uh, 10 years and I've got C5s and 6s that have as big as anyone else's so if there's anything they were lacking then over six years it would show quite considerably over one year you know you might get a small um, change in growth rate but over six years that would be quite uh, you know exaggerated then so essentially you're you're rearing vegan fish yeah I guess you could say so yeah it's right up Pete Street (laughs) yeah I I mean obviously there's going to be there's going to be different aquatic life in the lake that they're eating so that that they're obviously getting amino acids and things like that from from elsewhere aren't they but I appreciate the bulk of it is is from your feed so to to put that in terms for the angler because obviously most of our listeners will they they won't be fish farmers or Mm. sorry they won't be lake owners Mm -hmm. they'll be anglers would you would you recommend sticking with let's say it's going to be uh, let me put it in in a in a situation that's that's relatable maybe right so i do a lot of stalking for many many years i'd stalk with scratching pellet Mm -hmm. i found that you know really hard to beat to be honest with you Mm -hmm. it's different now you know nice oily trout pellet used to score very very well for someone going about doing that they want to do a day stalking do you think there's a benefit to to switching to a cereal based pellet like yours over something like a, a trout pellet like the spec of if you broke it down on paper the fish meal would be um yeah obviously much more attractive to fish um and it is i agree with you yeah you can i could feed my fish kept squat uh, squattings and coppins tomorrow and i'm sure they go crazy for it because uh it's an attraction profile it's, it's spot on it's, it's it is very good the fish like it um but again, people will use my feeds for the first time and come back and say how how fantastic they've you know taken to that, and uh, will show me pictures and video of the fish on it straight away. Um, but I think in an angling environment, it's a bit of um, like my feeds tend to score quite well because you could smell my feeds and they're pretty odourless. Mm. It's just a cereal, very bland cereal. Sort of not selling it very well here, but it's. Uh, I think fish accept it because it's it doesn't scream bait or it doesn't scream you know it might it doesn't remind him of a scenario where they smelt that before and they they went through a period of trauma through capture i think it's yeah it's a very safe food signal that's um pretty odorless so uh i think yeah that from that point of view the fit from an angling point of view that it tends to uh, have a bit of an edge from that that way because it is that's why i think particles are so good and and uh things like corn obviously that they're not you can't go into someone's swim and instantly go bloody hell what are you fishing with yeah because it's you know it's, it's pretty tame but um when you go i think angling is a lot of it is when you you can go into someone's swim and smell what they're using and you think mm. wow if i can smell that the fish must be uh pretty on edge in that sort of yeah in that environment but um but yeah for for, for my fish are fed it every day and i do find later in the season that they might be less um they might be less enthusiastic because they've been fed it all year and um that's why the natural power has been really good it's really sort of perked them up again um and i'm sure if i fed because like, i've taken bait down there before where I've, at the end of a session just chuck a few boys in they do show to it quite well but i think it's because it's something different and having a bit of a, a variation in their diet and, and they respond to it very well but um a bit in the spring the cereals the first few feet when it starts to warm up they do yeah, really show um, quite enthusiastically over the, over the spot that I feed 
um, but I find later on in the season they're probably a little bit oh here we go again yeah there's some food there again. Mm. so mm. they graze over it for a lot longer um, over sort of 24 hours um, I can go down there if I, later in the sort of autumn time I could feed them in the morning and when I go down the next morning they're still fizzing gently over it so I like that that's what I want I want them to know that they can graze areas and, and find reward in the silt and find food items by grazing because that's how I want the fish to, to be I don't, I don't want them to you know, uh, pick off individual items and go, oh, there's a bit of food, sort that up, chew through that. I want them to sort of hoover up and graze the substrate yeah. to keep that substrate active and again fertilize the uh, the uh, the natural environment. Um, so for me, that's the the bigger pitch for me is the is feeding something that's going to uh, enrich the environment rather than enrich the fish when it's in the intestine, uh, if that makes sense. But um, again, on the flip side as well, you've got in the summer that the you've got uh, much lower water turnover obviously as it gets warmer and drier in the peak of the summer those proteins are being broken down very effectively by the fish but any excess protein is converted into ammonia which you've got no water turnover to do, dilute those pollutants you're creating so feeding something that's much more friendly on water quality like cereals is uh, much more um it's, it's, you're not compromising water quality so much through the summer because it's much much less harmful on water quality and the amount of contribution is much lower so um, that's the flip side is you've got the argument of yes all these fantastic proteins in a fish meal diet are very well absorbed but obviously the digestibility is all dependent on water temperature but the warmer the water temperature gets when the water temperature is an optimum for carp your water turnover is very very low um, so that's when you're I've, this is how was, how BP Millen basically started was because I was feeding Coppins and scratching, feeding the fish to appetite. Like, oh, this is easy. They're smashing it and just keep feeding them, and um, not knowing that through the season the the ammonia was accumulating all through the season, low water turnover, very dry summer, uh, and ammonia was kept accumulating. And um, the the issues you get of ammonia are endless. Really, the fish, the fish yeah. stress and the problems they cause you is uh, yeah pretty uh, depressing when you catch it when you start seeing fish and the the what what ammonia's done to the environment and the the fish. Yeah, I keep pond carp and tank carp, so yeah, it's it's a nightmare. And you yeah. try to test all these high protein yeah. baits on them, and it's obviously wreaks fucking havoc, couldn't it? So yeah, I'm with yeah. you on that. Okay. Yeah. So then, like in an intensive, like I said earlier, in an intensive system, you're fine because the bio um, the biofilters are designed to to remove that ammonia and mm -hmm. convert it into into nitrate that's uh, taken out by the filters. So you're up in a lake environment you haven't got those filters so uh, you need to be very careful so yeah. finding cereals and going down the cereal route was a no-brainer for me and it's really this is a good sales pitch if someone listens to this it probably sounds like the way to go so this is the battle <laughs> I've got with uh, with is to getting people to realise that cereals actually you the the growth you can get is, is um, comparable with fish mills if, if you go about your fishery management the right way um, yeah your fish definitely looking very healthy mm -hmm. i think since our last podcast we spoke about or well, you had a theory i don't want to like kind of i know it's just a theory you haven't proven it or anything like that but you were saying about potentially the difference in um gut track lengths between yeah. fish that are reared on traditional fish meal type pellets compared yeah. to cereals yeah C can you kind of touch on that expand on it yeah so like uh, if you looked at it from uh, like a predatory fish 
the in, internal gut length would be much different to say a herbivore like a, a grass carp because meat if a predatory fish is eating fish and, and, and meat from a fish is very easily converted into back into flesh for the fish and easily digested because it's fish into fish whereas a grass carp a herbivore fish um, the intestine the gut length would be a lot longer to digest that and convert that and extract the nutrient from a um, say a veg- vegetable diet um, so that I think I think there could be um, an element of, of that in carp as well feeding the fish on a cereal diet which is harder to digest is the fish over a a, a period of gener- like, over generations is the fish going to develop a slightly longer gut tract yeah. to to be able to cope with uh, these ingredients that are less digestible and on uh, the flip side of that if a fish is fed a diet which is very easily converted like a pellet which is designed to be easily digested an extruded fish meal pellet if it's ex- uh, designed to be easily digested and easily converted into flesh for the carp is there internal gut length effectively going to become lazy as the digestive system going to become lazy because it's easy to digest yeah um and this might happen over generations not in our lifetime but um i wonder if uh if yeah over time how quickly that that changes um it's and that could be a real serious issue for these lakes that they're just reliant upon anglers bait aren't they i mean i think probably the lakes that me and you fish those fish are probably eating on a a lot of different natural Mm. Um, food items as well aren't they so so they're probably that's a bit of a saving grace for them but certainly these lakes where it like I mean you know better than I do some of these lakes they're just reliant upon the angler's bait aren't they they're overstocked they're therefore devoid of natural food yeah and it's worse than that some a lot of these places think they're doing a good thing by banning certain baits and I think that's making anglers hesitant to use any bait at all I think um, by protecting your water quality and telling anglers you can't use this, that, 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 and that. And the worst thing is, it's more commercial venues that are doing that with a higher stocking density, and the ones that are more at risk of, uh, well, not at risk, may say the ones that are, have more malnourished fish, they tend to be the venues that are more um, active in banning baits. So it seems like uh, carp lakes are more sort of, they like to you to feed the fish and, and use bait, but places like commercial match venues that we go to they ban this that and the other and you you show them their fish and they're all malnourished it's like you shouldn't really there's a lot of issues there but um one of them isn't bait we don't think obviously the, mm. the, the to, a, to an extent obviously if you get people turning up bucket and stuff in on top of a commercial um stocking density then uh, you are going to get issues but but yeah i think um the places that I get people ring ring up and I spoke to people before said oh we don't need to feed our fish because uh, the anglers feed them we get loads of anglers yeah, alright <laughs> but uh, but yeah my viewpoint is um, you've seen up here it's a, it's a family dairy farm so it's all mm. very livestock oriented sorry folks we just lost power there this is the joys of, of doing it in remote um, remote recording setting Ben just pick back up what, what you were saying there dude if you don't yes, mind yes I think uh, where we were was something uh, like you've been up here today and seen that we're on a dairy farm it's farming family that I'm from and uh, we were talking about the management of uh, fisheries there and um, if you've got my dad and my it's family family so if you have my dad and my uncle and my grandfather in this room and told them that uh, there's businesses that I'm trying to encourage to feed their fish and they'd uh, They'd be pretty shocked that they don't already feed their livestock. So it's yeah, from this is the way I've my sort of approach into fishery management and the fishery industry is from a livestock point of view through being coming through a family of dairy farmers, um, and generations of farmers. 
um, understanding livestock and yeah to to realize when I came into the fishery industry that fishery managers as a practice don't feed their carp or don't feed their lakes uh, to me was uh, shocking so that was a, a to begin with that that what started the business I suppose and started me promoting the idea was uh, to encourage fisheries that actually if you feed your fish you'll uh, here's the results you're going to see and uh, you'll have a much healthier fishery much healthier stock and much healthier business at the end of the day so um yeah that was quite an eye opener at the beginning um but i think it's been being more accepted now now um more and more lakes are, are feeding their fisheries and realizing what can be done and how much further you can take your stock um and i like to think i've had some sort of uh, effect on that movement but um yeah i know what you mean but then you've got like the the, the classic iconic carp like say the black mirror mm. obviously that was from a, a lake that's just you know enchanted in in mystery and all that stuff no one's ever been feeding no. those fish no. you know not not from a commercial point of view that obviously it was particularly for the time that was a very big yeah. fish yeah. just just amazing for so many different reasons you've got that side of it as well mm. and like i would always you know what I never fish for the black mirror, obviously. Um, and I'm not saying I'm, I, I'm not saying I'm going to have a, a chance of fishing for anything like that, but I would always gravitate towards that kind of water and that kind mm. of fish over somewhere, you know, to, just to put it in stark contrast, somewhere that was like being fed daily and the yeah. timed pellet feeders that yeah. for a lot of anglers yeah, yeah. It is, is our idea of fucking hell. Yeah. So how do we strike a balance? That's it. So there's, uh, like the black mirror used as an example there that that fish i think has got big because it's had a stress-free life it's it was a there's no fishing on that lake um so yeah it, it had a stress-free life of swimming about as very old fish so it got that big over a very long period of time and again something we see all the time in the angling industry and the, the venues we go to is everyone wants to recreate the red mire but the red mire is sort of the blueprint of how to how to you know get those fish to get big was they were put in those fish were originally put in at one pound from donald leaney so were uh, they were just left alone to do the job of clearing up the weed so obviously there was natural food and there was a, was a very rich lake um and they i think there was 50 one pound carp that went in initially and nowadays you couldn't do that because obviously cormorants would nail them now but um and you need a fence around it to stop the otters it shows how things have changed very quickly since those days but um yeah, those fish got that big because they were left alone. They were undiscovered for years and years and years. They got big um, in a in a rich pond where they were just not stressed from predation or anglers. Um, and nowadays, it's not fish don't go under the radar so it's quite so easily because the ind industry's exploded. Anglers are everywhere up trees looking for carp, and uh, the carp don't get that sort of uh, decades of going unknown and uncaught and uh, stress free life. And obviously, you have got the the added predation issue of otters and cormorants that won't even let them get, cormorants won't let them get bigger than a pound Corm, uh, otters won't get let them get much bigger than uh, well they'll take anything and they so uh, yeah they're up against it so those days i think are gone but then you've got people that want their, their fishery to be the next red mire but they go about it a completely different way so they stock different strains of fish they try this they try that whereas if you want to create the red mire you need i think the best way to do it is to start with from literally like they did small fish let them grow and um it's a long process and it's i think people get impatient when they they have a year where the fish haven't done so well they haven't grown or they'll try this they'll try that and they'll change too much and um 
a lot of the consultants I've been involved in, one a good example on the farm, we've got the nutritionist who uh, I use and has helped develop my feeds. He, when he sees something happening on the farm, he'll make very delicate changes to the ration or uh, anything that goes into the diets to the cattle on the farm. It'll, a, lot of, a lot of these consultants will go in, right, this is happening. The, 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 if the feed's going to them, through them too quickly or certain parts of the diet aren't being digested or the the manure of the cattle is being analysed and there's things that are passing through the cattle without being absorbed, then a lot of people will make rational movements and knee-jerk reactions to change a lot in the diet, whereas this consultant has come in and sort of changed tiny little things and over the period of five or ten years, uh, the herd here is, is you know really high-performance high uh, herd here. And this is the sort of thing that I like to implement into fisheries is, is to know what's healthy and uh, make subtle changes to manipulate the stocks and, and, and the fish to get them slowly getting in the right direction. And unfortunately, um, angling pressure is, is not the one if you want your carp to get big over a long period. Um, food is obviously a way of getting them big quickly. Um, and yeah, that's that's my way of looking at it, is trying to uh, show people how good livestock management really is. It's, um, it's, it's the same, it's parallel to any other livestock business, is uh, looking after your stock and their environment, keeping them stress-free, well-nourished. And uh, So yeah, there's, like you said, the there's two um, conflicting arguments there. Is I'm the same as you, I like to fish lakes, which are low stock and untouched and very quiet and I wouldn't like it if somebody went out feeding the fish yeah. every day. Yeah. It seemed very commercial, but then on the flip side, if they are my fish, then I'd be out there every day chucking food at them because I know I want them to get big and I want the anglers to leave them alone and see, uh, see them get massive. But, but but don't you want them to get big slowly so they've yeah. got the skeletal length and they're yeah. well proportioned and you know. yeah, so yeah, that's the ideal. But um, you to get the life out of those fish, you've you've got to uh, run the gauntlet of um of a lot of issues with you know uh, the. The, all the usual problems you get with fisheries and the management and the risks that you, you go to getting these fish that big um it can only take a one algal bloom or, or something an oxygen crash and yeah. being off the ball one summer and uh those those years are lost so yeah there's that argument um and a lot of the biggest fish i know locally um are in lakes which are private and uh no fish in the, or maybe there's a tiny syndicate that might be a couple of mates on there and uh, I don't think there's any coincidence in that. I think yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's the, the anglers, unfortunately, are uh, a stressing factor for, for like you say stress. Yeah. yeah, big factor in longevity for yeah. for humans and animals, isn't so, it? Yeah, I'd say yeah. That's why the black mirror got big. Was uh, it, it did see quite a bit of pressure at the end of its life, I suppose, as people started to realise it um, was there. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. It's um, mm. two different ways of running your fishery and your business. Um, yeah and to link back two things that you were saying i mean those fish got big in redmire from from eating the weed and all the mm. other aquatic life um you're saying your some people say well your pellets don't smell so like mm -hmm. how is that attractive you know smell weed and and smell yeah. um you know smell the insects that the carpet yeah. they don't really smell of anything no, so all the tests that we've done the two like there's two compounds that are just by far more attractive than anything else. Right. Neither of them smell no, of really. hardly anything <laughs> at all. Yeah, well, so it's is what we're smelling is just is, is totally irrelevant to, yeah. to what's attractive to the carp. So and yeah. and you know proofs in the pudding somewhere like Redmire, you know, that, yeah. that, that it didn't see bait. Those yeah. fish, I mean, you know, Clarissa and 
uh, or ravioli as it as it was called previous to that it got big not from angler's baits or anything like that it got big from odorless yeah. food that it ate a fucking lot of you know yeah yeah and that is uh we'd all love to recreate that but um yeah that's yeah sacrificing a lot of a lot of years and uh leaving it alone for almost a lifetime to uh and then when your anglers you do let people fish it it's almost like stopping those fish and yeah and uh going the other way but um yeah that's that's an argument which um i suppose yeah is is is, is two sides of that that argument with whether it's like I say, and if 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 they're my fish, I want to be feeding them to look after them. I'm from a farming family where livestock is uh, you've got to enjoy it and you've got to see your reward from watching them grow and yeah. uh, and flourish and, and do well. Um, and yeah, I appreciate. I wouldn't enjoy watching people feed the fish that I'm trying to catch. Yeah, but, um, yeah. No, couple, yeah, couple more things we wanted to cover to switch gears a little bit. Mm. Um, in terms of giving the fish something that's actually healthy for them, that's mm-hmm. going to enable them to thrive. This is something that we're working on with our, our the bait side of our little business. Yeah. Is we're working on a product that, that people can put in their, their feed, their boilies, um, that'll basically help the cart repair, help them deal with the stress, because it's stressful. Like, mm. you know, we all love, we love our quarry, but we're putting a hook in their mouth, mm. dragging them around a lake getting a photo with them it's very stressful for them mm-hmm. and as well as that of, of course you know carp just need different nutrients to to thrive we're trying to put something together that will help them thrive and help them deal with the stress of mm-hmm. of capture yeah. for you what what do you what would you suggest is the right road to take with that do you have any designs for this for BP milling in the future, where where um, would you go with that kind of thing? Mix. I went sort of on a similar route with that, trying to um, putting putting yeasts in there to to strengthen the immune system and this this um, the the soluble the glutamate in there that's the that's a soluble aquafeed yeast that's been developed for aquaculture and um, it helps boost immunity. Um, so I, I put that in there for that reason, and it was all formulated really to to um for the health of the fish there's a vitamin mineral package in there um really to appeal to those lakes like the commercials we were talking about that um are worried about what their fish are being fed i thought well maybe there's a market there for a diet which is actually ticks all the boxes for the fish um and those fisheries would be happy for that to be fed to the fish it breaks down fast it uh, it organically recycles very quickly so it's not going to be an issue for water quality as it breaks down and the fish are going to benefit from it nutritionally um so yeah, similar thing that I've done there. Um, but the biggest thing, really, really, being realistic, is in the anglers' hands of the way they handle them, and the on the bank really unhooking the fish. Um, this time of year in the winter, you find like that's the biggest thing in fishery management and fish husbandry is temperature. Really, um, I could handle fish on the bank for ten minutes and not cause that fish any harm in the winter below sort of. Uh, I don't know. The cooler the better, really. Below sort of ten degrees, ideally. But the cooler the better. Um, but as it warms up, things drastically change, and the fish become much more delicate, much more aware, much more dependent on oxygen, and the, they're producing more mucus to deal with other things going on in their lives. Um, and yeah, so they—that's the key. Is a lot of us typically, typically anglers. We, as anglers, we want to feed fish when it's it's warmer, it's more comfortable fishing, it's easier to catch fish, easier to find them. And when we catch one, we want to get the right shot. So the fish spend too much time on the bank dry, I believe. Um, I would 
if I had a fishery tomorrow, then I'd insist on shots in the water. Ideally, you wouldn't have any fishing in the summer at all because that's the fish the time when the fish are fully aware of what's going on. Water quality's on a knife edge. Um, you've got no water turnover. The fish, the fish's digestion efficiency is at an optimum through the summer. So really, you want them being left alone and fed, in my opinion. Um, and then in the winter, it's fair game to me. I think uh, you can't do much damage in the winter. The fish aren't growing so much. They're not going to be stressing so much with capture. Um, and then you come into the spring um, where you've, you should be feeding your fish again to, to fuel them for the, the spring, the, the challenges that the spring poses with increasing bacteria and, and, and parasitic loading. Um, but yeah, for me, it's, it's, all, it's more, the health of your fish is more down in the angler's hands in the summer. Um, to, to get those fish back as quickly as you can. So so for anglers, rather than, you know, looking at feed, mm-hmm. you think the biggest kind of message you'd give out was watch how you handle them? Yeah, I think everyone's looking for the magic ingredient yeah. that you can put in a bait and say, hey, I sort it, done, tick, box ticked. Um, yeah. But it's not realistically, it's the, the fish husbandry. And it's, it's like if the cattle, if we had a cow which was, which was stressed and unwell, then... There's you you can you know there's there's treatments you can give to them and you can hope they get better but there's no nothing that you can give them that's gonna straight away bang there you go he's, he's going again it's, it's the same it's right through the livestock industry it's it's about the the stress and the how happy a fish are at the end yeah. of the day um, and as anglers I think we have a responsibility when you've got that fish in the net that that fish is is entirely your responsibility and we see it all the time and. When a lake does a big fish, the, the lake that I'm on at the moment um, did the first thirty, the first fifty for years, and um, the guy that caught it um, wanted the right picture. Um, obviously, you, you would, uh, and it was in the summer before spawning. That fish was at a good weight because it was holding spawn. It hadn't spawned yet, mm. and then uh, you know you're taking your time on the bank with the pictures, and it's it's not. I'm not blaming the, the, the anyone, any of the anglers, because as an angler we. We love the fish, don't we? We don't. We don't yeah. mean them any harm at all. But I think it's just naivety of realizing the damage when you've got that fish on the bank that you can actually do, um, and particularly before spawning, that's the most delicate time I think we can catch a fish is when it's full of eggs, and, and it wants to spawn in the next week or two. Which we can't. Again, we can't. We can't uh, pin a date on when they're going to spawn, but I think the closer you get to those water temperatures, is we need to have a sort of. Uh, it's our responsibility to step away for a few months. I just said, that sounds like a long time for a long time. Anglers would be off. No, I can't do that. But um, <laughs> yeah, for me, I, I think uh, it's a moral obligation to sort of leave them alone when water temperatures creep up to sort of 16 degrees, really. They're going to spawn on paper 17 to 18 degrees. But leaving them alone when they start to sort of show any sort of signs of pairing up and a bit more enthusiasm to, to spawn in, I think, is... Uh, a moral obligation for us to understand that the females are bursting with eggs. The le- the last thing they want to do is be dry for ten minutes on the bank. With a with they've got a responsibility of looking after their eggs, and if they're starved of oxygen for a period of time on the bank, then those eggs are really going to be. Uh, well, if, if the female is stressed for any period of time, then those eggs might start to die or deteriorate. Then the fish has got a responsibility to uh, to to respond to the potential infection of those eggs dying inside of them so um it's got to shed them as well isn't yeah, it? So it's, it yeah i think that's there's a that's a moral thing which i don't i think be hard to get any traction with anglers yeah so the right anglers will but i think a lot of us um, a lot of anglers are potentially 
uh, leisure anglers that's not not going to get much traction there but for, for the likes of you and I that like to go after a big fish I think it's you know when it's really time to leave them alone and, yeah um, yeah for the fish's sake but yeah the question that was was uh, any, anything to do with, with, with putting into a bait for the health of the fish um, I've kind of dodged that I suppose <laughs> a little bit talking about <laughs> yeah but no in a word um, yeasts are used um to boost immunity, I suppose, and in, um, and yeah, Naturopal is going to do a, a garlic and stuff. Is going to help with a, a parasite lady. Yeah, um, t- tell us about this this Naturopal. Then it mm. it's so it's a certain um, garlic product, right? Mm. I'm presuming you don't want to tell us what that product is, but that product is then put into a carrier oil. That's right. And yeah. is is that it, or is there any other stuff going yeah, on? Yeah, so it's, it's it's a blending process, which is a long sort of 14 day blending process um uh, a supplier we work with has, has dealt with us that for us and um yeah it's just an oil-based product that the pellets absorb we've used it in fishing as well that boilies take it on really well and so i haven't seen the the fishy response to it in my ponds um i haven't been fishing without it since so that's the sort of the the level of uh and how do you use it it's been. are you just using the pellets or do you use the actual because you sell the oil right yeah how, how do you use it in your own fishing then? Just soaking the feed that I'm using in oil. Um, and what feed do you absorb. use? Pellets, boilers? Yeah, both. Mate. So, like I say, feeding that lake with the crayfish, I've been feeding 50-50 my pellets with boilie. Um, knowing that my pellets breaking down very fast, it's going to take a long time for those mm. crayfish to mop all that up. Um, and hopefully there's something somewhere in the gravel there is going to be some... Uh, some sort of um food source for the fish um and yeah that the boilies are there to i guess keep the trying to slow the crayfish down really just uh are you are you picky with your boilie what what boilies do you no, use we've used all sorts uh i'm very friendly with mark at baitworks so um go and see him occasionally and yeah grab them off of him and i know that's pretty reptile stuff so uh yeah i'm not fussy there i've got a few mates in the I've rolled a bit of bait and if I see them I'll yeah, grab a bit you don't roll yourself no yeah. I've thought about it and but I'd, I'd I've always against sort of a lot of people have asked me to roll boilies for a food source to feed to carp and I've always been against it I don't I don't think to do it in a in a bulk as a bulk food source it's not viable from a cost point of view it's not cost effective um, as a food source but as a bait you know the attractors you can put in there mm. um it's great, but no, I, I'm BP Millen is a, a yeah. got a different sort of ethos of, of encouraging yeah. now. What we've all explained in this in this podcast has sort of been a good advert for what we try and do. Um, and boilies, I don't think fits with what we're trying to. Uh, no, I understand the, that. The goals, yeah. but yeah, no, so no, nothing against using them as a bait. I do use them. Um, yeah, and, and for the home roller, because obviously we get a lot of of bait rollers listen to this. Yeah. They say they wanted to incorporate your Naturopal. Hmm. Did you sell to to the smaller guy, by the way, or or is it a wholesale that, only? Uh, so the Smart Mix products and hook baits we do, but the Naturopal we developed that for bulk feeds, really. So we haven't allowed for trade on that. So uh, yeah. Um, I was going to say, how would they incorporate that into their mix? But but I'm guessing there's a minimum be, order of yeah, it'd be a post um, production anyway. So. You'd, Similar to what I do with pellets, just coat the, your boilies in it to let the boilies absorb the oil. Um, rather than, like we said about it being heat sensitive, you want to you don't want any heat getting onto it to uh, to avoid those mm. those compounds we want. Um, 
so yeah, that's that would be uh, something that I guess anglers would put on their baits, and it's it's not a big margin product at all. It's, it's exactly what I want to make to address the issue of parasites. So it's you know it's not a big money spinner by any means, but it was really to a, a bit of a project about um, controlling parasite populations within lakes, and uh, it was something I when I realised the uh, reputation of it from my research, I thought that's something I want to be part of. So yeah, that's why I've done it. Um, but yeah, it seems to go hand in hand with the, the products we make and the the goals of the business. So uh, there it is, Naturopal, natural natural repellent is what I well what's behind the name because uh, yeah I was, I was thinking what to call it for ages when I started playing around with it in my ponds and it's natural repellent, but people still get it wrong. Naturopal. And and uh, you mentioned the smart mix pellets as well. So let's let's say an angler listens to this they want to try out your products for mm. for a fishing in a fishing capacity rather than feeding their fish yeah you'd recommend smart mix yeah to go for, for like day sessions and stuff we, yeah i went i made that really to try and encourage angling back to be in more intricate sort of delicate sport of you know light float setup and a handful of pellets real sort of delicate bucket and and, and hook him out and, and net stalking sort of style small hook baits and just being really sort of um delicate and in how the approach basically but more and more anglers are asking us to do the 12 mil version and i think the market has gone that way where it's all big leads big rods stick it out yeah. in the middle sit behind the rods yeah. and it's it was gets i was struggling to get traction with the the sort of the way i wanted it to, what i wanted it to become bring angling back to being you know really sort of delicate sport yeah or skill if you like um so yeah i, I ended up doing a 12 mil range and that's what sells the most now is all the 12 mil stuff um and yeah the coating it with um smart mix is basically a dry pellet um but chuck a load of natch pad on it and that is a dream it smells beautiful it's uh just a yeasty sort of um uh you know, garlicky buttery sort of smell if you like but yeah i have confidence in that that's all i used at um the lake where i had that 43 through the pre-bait in there where does the uh, butter aspect come from? Because there's no milk no, meals or anything. We do but... use a, a dairy product in okay. there, um, a milk powder to have the solubility of it, I thought. That was my theory behind it. There's uh, you know, sort of, yeah, a sweetness profile of it. And uh, yeah, it seems to, to work well in the mix. Don't do it, it what's that? That's a refined milk or? Yeah. 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 Okay, so cool. it's, um, yeah. A, 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 was it a milk protein sort of? Um, yeah. Uh, what do they call it? Like a, a milk powder, basically. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. They're no secrets. It's just uh, just seems to do the job, and yeah, yes, yeah, so it's been pretty impressive that stuff. It's I, I take it everywhere I go fishing now. Like I say, it breaks down fast. So, and the fish in my ponds, again, you, you can see their enthusiasm to feeding over that over the BP Gold, which is our biggest selling pellet, the one that everyone likes to use in their fishing. It's you can put that side by side. Head and shoulders. Smart yeah. mix is the one to go for. And if anyone wants this, it's available. Uh, what's the www.bpmilling.co.uk cool it's all online got online shop there and I guess if anyone's listened this far they found it interesting what we've been saying um, and there's lots of content video content I've been trying to push the YouTube yeah. channel recently so uh, I've been uploading content which all this stuff I sort of take for granted and sort of I don't probably don't appreciate that it's got some value to people that I didn't realise it, it mm. actually has because I'm very lucky that I get to see lots of fisheries every single day through the winter their pants down basically uh, drained or, or you know we've run a net stream electrician and we see businesses fishery businesses go from from start to finish um 
so yeah I've, I've been pushing more video content on what we see so if you're interested in what we've said in this podcast I'd encourage people to go and have a look at the, the YouTube and uh, see some of the video content we've produced yeah we're sat in the uh, in the office of of Ben's um milling factory or, or pellet factory and on the whiteboard behind him there's lots of different content topics so i can see you got a lot of stuff coming yeah, i tell you what so i think i think we're going to round off now we've got obviously pete couldn't join us today i've got three questions fairly quick questions from pete if you're happy to answer those yeah, right. then we'll round up um what have been <laughs> these might not be quick but what what have been your top three takeaways from fish farming and learning about fish biology science etc uh, that have helped you catch more fish i'm rubbish on the spot questions um i guess just um i guess it's just uh well what would i say through the fish behavior really if I, mm. if I before i go fishing i'll feed my fish and uh see what they're doing and if if they're in one area of the lake that gives me they'll tend to be in that in say they're on the the south bank feeding them in my stock ponds they tend to be pretty uniform through all the ponds they'll all be on the south bank so that'll give me the first place to look when i go fishing um and really yeah i think i said it and used the same in the last podcast actually but i think there's a lot more to be um a lot more credit to being quiet and when you arrive at a lake we go to so many very small lakes where they're bookings only and you'll get an angling party turn up um and they're there for a holiday, so they, you know, they're, they're cracking open the beers, they're stomping around, having a laugh, music's on. They don't catch anything, and I think, I think there's an element of being quiet that is. Uh, when we were brought into the sport, it was all about being quiet. Mm. You know, it's a hunting game, so uh, I think, yeah, it's being quiet. Is you can see those small lakes, they switch off the cup, don't feed for 24 hours if they know they're being fished for. Um, and I think that's the, the biggest thing we can do. Is I see it in my ponds as well. If I when I'm feeding them on the top with some bread or something, I take down on a hot day, see how they're getting on, so I can see them, see them feed. Um, they'll feed in like a semicircle all around me, and you think oh, I'm hiding out of the way, but you know they, they sense that you're there, and uh, through the vibration through the ground, perhaps, or they yeah. physically see me. But um, yeah, there's an element of being quiet, which I think is uh, probably one which is the biggest part of my angling that I try and focus on. Everything, even if I fish 100 yards out, I'll try and set up as quiet as I can, as far back as I can. And if you're fishing closely and everything's right back and tips out of the way. And yeah, I think that's something we can all do because it's fishing has become sort of um, a bit of a routine of finding a spot, getting your kit set up, spotting or spawning, um, and sitting back. And it's all become a bit of a this is what you do. Yeah. Whereas it's not yeah. so much Very dogmatic. Anymore, is it? No. no. But, that's um, a good one for Pete as well because. Back when I used to fish with Pete, when he used to live down in Cornwall, I mean, we were we were like fucking panthers on the bank, you know. We were like really over the top, quiet of everything. When I fish with him now, I notice he's so fucking noisy, yeah. like clanging the barbecue. <laughs> oh, fucking not not mature over. He's yeah. awful. So yeah. he, he needs to he needs to hear that. Sorry, yeah, Pete, throwing you under the bus here, but we did a video. Um, we took some camera guys with us, good mates of mine, and uh, did sort of a promo video. And again, you you find some fish and. Uh, yeah. they'll come over like their camera yeah. they'll shout across to you pointing out where the fish I was like oh, yeah, yeah. plonk the tripod down <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> awful yeah. Yeah, there we are. yeah nice next one sort of stems onto that mm. really but um, what what's what's the biggest mistake you see most anglers making 
let's say you know better anglers that, that are fishing the, these kind of harder pits or lakes um, is there anything that you're like oh shit everyone's doing that I don't know why they're doing it, it, it they're yeah, shooting themselves in the foot I guess through recent years fishing these harder lakes um, just turning up and trying to catch one is I, I have so much respect for people that can do that uh, some of these anglers I think that sets the, the best anglers apart from the rest of us is just being able to turn up and catch one um whereas i now have got into the sort of if i'm going fishing i'm baiting the week in advance or mm-hmm. even if it's short short notice i'd go two nights before and really hammer a load of bait in um but yeah that to me is if someone who's you see people get on syndicates and stuff that get very frustrated not catching anything and they'll they'll turn up the same swim each time or they'll um they'll they won't put they'll rush to set up a little bit maybe um or they'll hear they'll be on you know whatsapp to a lot of anglers on the lake that saying there's a lot of fish being caught from here so that's they'll go and fish there without sort of looking or anything but um no i don't know i think yeah like, like i say is i take my hat off to people that can just turn up and catch them yeah and uh but yeah for me the last few years having a realizing the um how uh pre-baiting can can work is just eye opening really it can make yeah. you look like such a good angler on the day when you turn up and catch a load but it's really the the past week or so that you've been uh, been putting towards it um and yeah for me that's i, I it make it makes me look a good angler on the syndicate last year or year two ago year or two ago um a good season on there would be you know a handful of fish maybe five fish and uh i was going up there for two hours in the morning with one rod having pre-baited for two weeks building up to this and uh, I was going up there one rod just like five in the morning fishing up to about nine o'clock to to get to work and uh, I'd catch one every morning and turned into two and three and so I, I think I stacked up nearly half a dozen no sorry nearly a dozen fish um, just in a week and for that lake a year would you know six fish would be a good good year on there so that was just free pre-baiting had them going and it was just couldn't go wrong just you, yeah no i'm the same i, I rely on pre-baiting a lot as well because mm. i don't have much time you just train you're training them like dogs yeah. aren't you you know that's essentially what you're doing you're training the carp yeah. to keep going there and because then you know ideally you don't want lines in the people that listen to this i'm always banging on about pre-baiting but mm. you don't want lines in the water you want to just get those fish going in there mm. moving in there without any added stress yeah. they build up their confident pretty confidence pretty damn quickly yeah. and like you say you can just swoop in and and yeah and get some good results like that so yeah yeah i'm with I, you on that i soon got rumbled and people realize that's the it. issue nowadays isn't yeah. it so banks are so busy but as well and they if they were doing something similar I'm yeah sure it would go a lot longer but then they were going with three rods and then like loads yeah and <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah like you saying yeah Getting the marker so. out and the spawn <laughs> and yeah 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 so yeah my little quiet um campaign now putting a bit of baiting quietly and catching loads soon came to an end but yeah yeah okay um next question what's the heaviest fish request you've ever had in terms of stocking has anyone asked you for like a 30 pounder or or bigger or anything like that they always every year they'll ask for big fish like that yeah but i don't have them um no wouldn't wouldn't know um they they hear about them along sort of the the black market I suppose you call it the sort of people that that's the trouble with it because we're so down straight down the line we do it by the book mm. um, with, with stocking and stuff There's, um, but we get more um, hassle from 
the you know the government bodies that because we are reporting everything we do they're hot on us because we're telling them what we're doing they're checking we're doing it all right but then mm. you've got the people that don't do any of that and they go under the radar so you do hear stories that the fish that historically you know they come across from uh over the channel and they you've we've been on a job before which i can't talk much about where we had to go and uh do a job for the police in the past very interesting day that one but i can't speak about that anymore <laughs> um but yeah it, it does happen and I, I think i haven't heard about it much in recent years i'm hoping they've clamped down on that sort of stuff but there was quite a period of uh that going on and when you see the money involved it, it's no surprise that people yeah. try to, um but yeah i think we're getting more and more big fish over in this country now that i don't know if that's had an element of uh you know, we can do it ourselves rather than bring them across. No, but um, but no, not not. Don't really. We don't supply big fish. We tend to supply a lot. Smaller fish tend to do better, I think, because they're still developing and adjusting to the. Obviously, they got essential vitamins and minerals that they need. They're non-essential vitamins and minerals that they can make themselves. I think in the right environment. So if they go from my pond, they probably got a abundance of one mineral or one vitamin where they if you put them in a gravel pit they've probably got an abundance of a different one but not enough of that one so they need to produce different vitamins to to get their balance right amino acids as well you can Mm. get certain amino acid deficiencies you know obviously if you get deficient in a in an essential amino acid that Mm. can be like a massive issue yeah same kind of thing isn't it yeah so i think smaller fish are more adaptable and being able to changes their foundations of you know what their body needs to produce more of yeah um so i think if you put a fish a big fish in say eight to ten year old carp that's you know 30 40 pound perhaps that's sort of established what it needs to produce and it's used to producing certain vitamins and minerals um and you put it in an environment where it's suddenly got to produce more of this and less of that i think it takes me a long time to and that that rings true with um some of these big fish people stock 30 pounders and they don't do anything for a few years they don't grow perhaps they sometimes lose weight and then eventually they start going again um whereas small fish tend to just go from the off as well as that i mean there's there's not much merit in catching a a 30 or 40 pounder that's been bred in a stock pond the the whole merit of of the bigger fish the weight came from you know presumably older fish more wily harder Mm. to catch whereas obviously you're just bypassing that yeah yeah and for me it, I get so much reward in seeing them grow from yeah, I bet. fry to you know, doubles and twenties. Yeah. But um, but yeah, no, it's um, definitely a better way to do it in my eyes. Awesome. Last question for you, Ben. Yeah. Um, have you noticed any differences in behaviour between different carp strains? Um, no, I wouldn't say so. I don't get too carried away with strains. Sometimes, I don't know. I think. There's there's an element somewhere. We went to one actually this this week or last week, um, and the most recent stock in all of the stock were covered in leeches, whereas the native fish or the older fish that from previous stockings they were fine. Um, and it makes me wonder. I don't know. Perhaps the those fish that have just gone in obviously wouldn't have turned up like that, so they must behave in in a way when they were stocked. Perhaps there's a stress through transportation. I think no. I don't know the, the details of what happened, but um. Yeah, there's a clear um, stocking of fish which really struggled to get going and, and absolutely plastered in leeches. The most leeches I've ever seen on a carp, probably. One which I was explaining to you about before we went turned this on. Um, had It must have been hundreds of, of leech over one eye, or both eyes, and they were just clubbed over in a ball over its eye. And it's just a, it made you cruel with uh, seeing it and seeing all these leeches in, in that, that specific over each eye. 
Um, but yeah, I don't know. Perhaps that was... Uh, there's, there's so many variables that could have caused them to perhaps be less dorm, less you know, active and being more dormant when they went in. Um, but the other fish were clean as a whistle. Um, but no, I wouldn't say there's been any particular characteristics of some fish um, other than physical and uh, I wouldn't say there's any behavioural mm. that I can think of anyway. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. Interesting one. I wouldn't... I don't know. Perfect. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. Interesting as always. If people want to go and check out your social media, yeah. it's BP Milling on... Uh, Facebook and Instagram and YouTube is... Uh, I'm not... I'm trying to push YouTube at the minute, so I'm not putting all the video content on Instagram. And, go to uh, YouTube then. <laughs> Facebook. So yeah, got to get and subscribe to YouTube and you'll find loads of uh, informative videos that, yeah, stuff that we see every day and yeah. the stuff. Um, yeah, hopefully you find it interesting. Comment, share it, subscribe. And just search BP Milling yeah. on every platform. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. And the website's bpmilling.co.uk. That's it, yeah. Awesome. Ben Pinager, appreciate it, Thank man. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Did I say your name right? Pinager. No, Pinager. Pinager. It depends. When I want to be posh, I'm Benedict Pinager. Benedict Pinager. Yeah. Thanks, man. (laughs) (laughs) I'll leave that here. (laughs) Cheers, dude.